and we are back welcome back um keeping it short and sweet with that intro there as i mentioned last time sometimes i record the opening line like four or five times and it gets a little ridiculous and it's one of those things where <clears throat> the more you keep trying it the worse it is so the reality is you probably should have just kept the first one but uh you get in that that infinite feedback loop of you know hating it <laughs> and thinking that it wasn't that it wasn't good enough so um that would always happen and that does happen um I'm a musician and it happens in the studio whenever you're recording right and um I'm a drummer mostly and the reality is like usually if you don't nail it in the first the first take then you probably need to step away from it when you're recording when you're recording music like that in a studio and you're paying for the studio and it's like you know there's a lot of pressure to really nail it and you get in your head really quickly in that situation and you can you can really get in your own way it's kind of hysterical when you think about it um but yeah on like that second take or that third take things you get these diminishing returns pretty predictably. And so it's like, if you didn't nail it the first time, you should probably just take a, take a break, take a walk, drink some kombucha, you know, center your chi, come back and nail it. So it's probably the same with things like podcasting. You know, some, sometimes you can nail it. Sometimes, um, you're just like a, a weird floppy fish and that's about it. You're just like a weird floppy fish whatever that means. Um, that's kind of the imagery that came to my head. So, um, if you know, you know, if you know me, you know that, um, I'm actually quite silly. Um, I, I definitely have a serious side and I think a lot of times in, you know, when the content and stuff that I deliver, it's maybe it has a serious tone to it. And maybe that comes from just wanting to, to really deliver right and wanting to be productive and give, give the people what they want but also I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty silly dude and I'm also very sarcastic. So a lot of times my tone won't change if I'm being silly when I'm talking like this or talking to a person. And, um, that's a, that's a fun problem because it's like the boy who cried wolf, right? If there's actually something going on and I'm like, no, the, the kitchen is actually, is actually on fire. And then some, you know, someone's like, Oh, that's hilarious. I'm like, no, it, it, it really is on fire. And I need you to go look. Um, cause it's, the flames are six feet high and they're like, Oh, that's hilarious. And then the kitchen is actually on fire. That's only happened to me once that I had a small kitchen fire when I was in college and, um, living with my, my best friend, Ed, shout out to Ed who doesn't listen to this podcast cause he's a teacher and, um, has better things to do with his time. Shout out to Ed. <laughs> we uh we were sitting there and sitting there in the living room playing video games and um we were sitting there drinking tea his grandma would make this he would she would send us this tea that's not really tea and i thought that was hilarious it was it was powdered tang if you've ever had tang it's like this fake orange juice probably just a bucket of chemicals and she would mix tang with like probably some cinnamon and she would, you know, she would call it Russian tea or something like that. And we would get, we would get pretty amped on Russian tea. So we drink Russian tea in the winter and play video games and just have kind of a cozy lifestyle for the time being until it warmed up. 
And so um, we're sitting there drinking Russian tea and um, Ed's in the kitchen and for his first call for help was really calm, which was funny and also part of why I didn't believe it. Because from the other room, he just goes, dude, fire. Um, hey, hey, dude, fire. And I'm like, what? What are you talking? I'm kidding. Like, can you not bother me? And then he it's a little more animated, you know, and he screams fire again um, with with some more emphasis to get my attention. So, um, you know, I, I told him um, that it was a real inconvenience. And so I said, let me finish this game and then I'll come check out the fire. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I ran to the kitchen and we we put it out and it was actually a, a towel that was on fire that was on top of the stove. And for whatever reason, we the only thing we could think to do was slam out, fly open the door, which we live on the second floor, and throw that towel down onto the street, and it was still in flames. And there was, uh, there was like we lived across the street from a sorority house, and I remember some sorority girls sitting on the porch, seeing this flaming towel come down from the second story, and a couple of dudes just freaking out. <laughs> So, um, yeah, that's the only kitchen fire I've had. And that's a little bit of, um, culinary, you know, knowledge. If you ever want to make some, some Russian tea, some tang and some cinnamon. So, um, that has absolutely nothing to do with practice building or therapy or private practice or businesses. Um, but it's pretty funny and, um, makes me laugh to think about it. So what are we talking about today? Today, um, I do want to rein it in a little bit and talk to you about something in particular. I want to talk to you about whether you not whether or not you should become a group practice owner. Um, do you really want to become a group practice owner? The reason why I want to talk about this is because I'm just I'm seeing it a lot in people and uh, therapists that I work with and and connect with week to week. Um, we all want to make passive income, whatever that means. And so we think that the best way to do it is to hire some clinicians. I think it's a great way to do it. And for a lot of people, it's a great fit. And they, they very naturally become group practice owners and they crush it and they love it. And they have a very small therapy caseload if, if they have a therapy caseload at all. And they just run the business. They manage people and the business and the finances and the paychecks and the marketing. It's a completely different job than what you signed up for. So that's that's my first warning. It's really not like running a solo practice. And um, I, just, I just want people to know that um, and kind of give you permission to not become a group practice owner be, just because you might think that that's the thing to do or someone on a Facebook group told you you should. So, um, so how do you decide, right? Well, first of all, you ask yourself, do you like being a manager? You know, do you, have you ever managed people, whether it's in a different job or a nonprofit or a hospital or something like that? Um, are you the kind of person person that likes managing people and likes being in leadership or leading a team. I personally love it. I really love it. Um, I've been in leadership at a home repair nonprofit before and I've led teams and I get a lot from it. I really, I think, emerged into a leader early on uh, in doing that work um, for the nonprofit. And so it, it was, it was not completely uphill for me to become a group practice owner and, you know, lead my team there. So, um, 
you know, have you been a leader like that in some place and do you enjoy it? Do you enjoy managing people or managing kind of the operations of the business for other people? Um, so that's kind of step one is do you really want to be a manager? Can you see yourself, um, being the go-to person for your, you know, your clinicians who might have a client issue or an invoice went missing or they didn't get their last paycheck for whatever weird reason, or, um, we don't have any more tissues. And so my client had to use some really abrasive paper towels and what, and that's not good, you know? So that's, that those are the non-sexy parts of being a group practice owner that end up falling back on you. And I think a lot of people don't see. So, um, you got to be on top of all those things, right? Cause your clinicians are going to look to you to have it together and keep things running smoothly. And when you don't, they're going to let you know about it. You know, you're going to be the first one that they call, or if one of their clients gets hospitalized, guess what? They're going to call you first. Even if they're licensed, even if they've been licensed for 20 years, they're going to call you first. So, um, do you want that? You know, do you want that new job title? Um, don't do it just because you want to make more money. There's other ways to do that that don't involve, you know, the lives of other people. Um, the other part is, can you, do you have a robust enough marketing strategy and or knowledge and budget to actually fill up a group practice. The number one threat to private practices of any size is um, insufficient volume of clients, not enough clients. Because if you, the, the, the therapists who have plenty of clients or have an overflow of clients are doing quite well and they have more control, they can up their fees, they can work whenever they want, they are in demand. And nothing makes you sexier and more appealing than being in demand. So, um, I also see a lot of group practice centers going out there and renting an office suite of like 15 offices and then sitting down and being like, okay, well now I think I need a new website and I need to not use johnclarktherapy.com because no one wants to work for johnclarktherapy.com and I need to fill it up. I need a marketing plan. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That is the worst way to do it. Please don't do that. Um, your, your clinicians uh, should be bursting at the seams with clients before you bring on even one clinician. My tip to you is do not grow faster than your business. <clears throat> I could probably just end there because that's probably enough. And you know, we talked last time about being information bloated and you might be information bloated at this point. If you're already, if you listen to every episode and you're thinking through all this stuff and trying to implement it all really fast. So, don't grow faster than your business. Are you already growing faster than your business? Um, or trying to grow faster than your business, faster than the actual revenue that you have coming in, the actual volume of clients that you have coming in, right? Because it all rests on that. Um, if you've got a full practice with people coming, knocking at your door in a waiting list, you're doing good you know, and you enjoy being a manager, you enjoy running the systems and the marketing and the operations of a business, of a practice, great, become a group practice owner. Be ready for more responsibility, you know, because when the clinician, when a clinician's caseload dips down below 10 people or whatever, that's on you. And I also, I don't, I, I can't stand when I see clinician or group practice centers going, well, you know, I told my clinicians that they need to be blogging and getting themselves out there and promoting themselves. No, that's not why they work for you. 
if they wanted to do all that crap, they would go and start their own practice. So I just think that's a bunch of BS when, when group practice owners expect all that of their clinicians. Now, if some clinicians are good at it and they enjoy blogging and they want to run an event, great, go for it and pay them for it for God's sake. But don't expect it, right? Because they would create their own practice if they wanted to do all that stuff. That's, they want you to do that stuff, you know? So be realistic. Be very realistic and, you know, go ahead and embrace the fact that the marketing for the practice is on you. The website is on you. The blogging is on you to either do it or outsource it. Um, hosting events is on you. The best group practice centers, they realize this and they take full responsibility of it and they just own it. They own it and they do it and they do great. And, and, and their clinicians are happy because they come, they clock in, they see their damn clients and then they clock out and get paid. Very clean, very smooth. Who wouldn't want that? So that's what I have to say. Um, got a little heated, got a little pumped on that because I believe strongly in it and I believe in advising you correctly and advising you against certain things, you know, in, in, in this life and in this business. So, uh, I feel strongly about it. And, um, if you disagree, that's fine. Go, you know, do your thing or if someone else or different, you know, a different practice coach tells you something else. Great. Go for that. Um, and then call me in six months and let me know how it's going. <laughs> uh, that's that was kind of a, a silly thing to say. Uh, it's kind of passive aggressive, very passive aggressive. But you know, again, this is I believe this strongly. I work with therapists all over the country, and currently, actually, is some international people, which is really fun. And um, there's things like this that I know, and I see time and time again, and I know what works, and I know what doesn't work. So please take it from me and let me save you that heartache. And let me save you from involving other people's lives in your business that's not ready to grow yet, you know? And if it is ready to grow, boom, go for it, nail it, own it, um, go after it, do it right, do it fully, give yourself that time, the time you need to build that business, scale it, uh, reduce your own caseload for God's sake, and, um, and, and do the damn thing, you know, right on. That is fantastic. There's a lot of budding group practice centers out there that are doing great and really rocking it. And then there's some that are really struggling and they don't, they don't really know why they got into it in the first place. And that's a problem. So, um, yeah, I see, I tried to end on a positive note and then I got kind of, I became kind of a bummer again, kind of ended on a bummer note, <laughs> a big warning, a big forewarning. So I don't mean to scare you, but I mean to be realistic. I mean to be a re realistic and de-romanticize this whole group practice ownership thing. So just think long and hard about it. If I can help you with it, let me know. Let me know. Um, I mentioned last time that I want your feedback on the format of this um, this podcast. So there's the traditional kind of interview style or real content driven where I've got a list of notes or a list of SEO tips and I'm just running through them. And then there's episodes like this where I talk about Russian tea and my roommate, my old roommate, Ed, and um, just kind of riffing on something that I think is important for a bit. And this could become a different show. And I want you to let me know if you think it should become a different show. Um, shoot me an email, john at privatepracticeworkshop.com. That's john at privatepracticeworkshop.com, J-O-H-N. Thank you very much. And, um, and let me know, because if, if, if you feel like this fits 
in its own show. I'll do that and I'll make it happen. We'll just keep rolling like this and we'll keep rolling in the the more interview and content driven style for the show um, in kind of the old format. So um, I appreciate you being here as always, as always. Um, head on over to YouTube and check out the Private Practice Workshop um, channel on YouTube for a video coming out every week. There's a link in the show notes here. And I appreciate you helping me out with that. Um, if there's something I can do for you, let me know. Take care. Keep doing what you're doing. And um, I hope you have a great week. I'll see you next time. Cheers. Cheers.